0: Hey everyone, I want to also welcome you to our services and wish you a Merry Christmas during this Christmas season. If you have got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. We'll get there in a moment. And as you're turning there, let me just uh, make sure you're aware of this. Obviously, we're coming to the end of 2020, and as we begin 2021, We're going to come back to our Love This Book series. At the beginning of 2020, we looked at the first part of the Old Testament. At the beginning of next year, which is only in a couple of weeks, we're going to start and work our way through the second part of the Old Testament. And as we go through this, this is an opportunity really for us to go through this together. We've uh, prepared a devotional guide that includes three devotionals each week that will follow along our study. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you're On campus, to pick a copy of this up so you can go through this with us. Otherwise, this is going to be available online. It will also be available on our website week by week, hfcinfo.com. So uh, we'll be talking more about this as we get into the new year, but I just want to really encourage you to be a part of this so that that we can go through the storyline of the Bible together. Now, obviously, we're just a couple of days away from Christmas, and as we prepare for Christmas, I wanted to ask you this question. What's your favorite Christmas movie? What's your favorite Christmas movie? I was in uh, different conversations with people this week, and I asked them this question. Here were some of the responses that I got when I asked people, Okay, so what's your favorite Christmas movie? Among other things, I heard about recent movies, uh, like Elf. That's kind of a Christmas classic. Also, some people preferred to think more of uh, uh, more classical movies, like White Christmas Of course, when uh, you talk about Christmas movies, I had one person say, look, it's not exactly a Christmas movie, but we can't leave out a Charlie Brown Christmas special. In fact, I think that was on TV just a few days ago. And if you, uh, if you talk to enough people about favorite Christmas movies, at some point, <laughs> this movie is going to come up die hard and you're going to get into that long ongoing debate. Is this really a Christmas movie or not? I'm not going to enter into that. You can make your own decision about that. I'm not sure I have exactly a, a favorite Christmas movie. I will tell you, our family watched a Christmas movie this week and here's what we watched. We watched Home Alone 2. Of course, you know, we've got different answers to these questions. If you are with friends or family, you can discuss, okay, what's your favorite uh, Christmas movie? Go around the room and see how different people answer that question. Even though we're going to answer with different movies, um, if you think about it, I think there's certain themes that run through many Christmas movies. Usually, regardless of the Christmas movie, by the end of the movie, despite whatever challenges the lead characters have faced, everything comes out well in the end. Usually there's this amazing moment in the movie where every piece of the puzzle seems to fall in place, right? We, we, we jokingly refer to Hallmark movies having that kind of feature. I mean, think about Home Alone 2, which... We always enjoy watching right uh, 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 there's a child who gets stranded in New York City and and somehow he manages to have a great time while he's there. He also manages to defeat criminals and by the end of the movie everything is back together and he's reunited with his family. Now frankly, I got to be honest, we we just enjoy watching it. We enjoy the physical humor. But we also realize that this isn't how real life happens. There's there's a disconnect here. And, and this is a disconnect, right, we can experience with Christmas movies. They, I mean, they have a wonderful endings, everything comes out well, but that's not always how real life works. And even though that is true of Christmas movies, at a more practical level, it can be true of our Christmas experience. After all, you know, this is this is a season of the year that we associate with with love, joy, peace, and hope. Yet as we move through the Christmas season, our lives can feel very disconnected from these themes. Instead of love, for some of us, there's isolation and loneliness. Instead of joy, for some of us, there's just the weightiness of the daily grind. Instead of peace, for some of us, there's conflict, particularly conflict and some significant relationships in our lives. Instead of hope, there can be uncertainty about the future and what this next year might hold. And I think particularly in a year like this where we've gone through so much, there can be this disconnect between what we associate with Christmas and what's actually going on in our lives. After all, this, this Christmas season is going to be different for all of us. And I think for you, for me, there are certain Christmas traditions, certain Christmas experiences that that are simply not going to happen. And so with that comes this disconnect. This disconnect between the message of Christmas and what I'm actually going through during this Christmas season. That's where we're at this year. Now, interestingly, interestingly, if you look at the Christmas story, you can actually see this disconnect in that story itself right? Just think about what we read in the opening chapters of Luke's gospel. In anticipation of Jesus's birth, Mary is told she's going to have a son, and he's going to rule on the throne of David, right? He's going to be the Messiah. And then she and Joseph make their way to Bethlehem. The baby is born, and When that happens, there's this angelic announcement right out in the fields, outside this small quaint village to shepherds there. There's an angelic announcement, and it's it's a message of good news. The Messiah himself has been born. The language that's used here is intriguing because in the Roman world, that phrase, that term good news was used to describe the way Caesar Augustus had brought peace and stability to the empire. So if we listen carefully in the story itself, there are these amazing promises about who Jesus is and what he's going to do. There are those amazing promises, yet there's the reality of how it actually happened, (laughs) right? It's it's in a manger, in a space reserved for animals. It's in an out-of-the-way village, away from the seats of power influence. And there seems to be a disconnect here. A disconnect between the message of Christmas and the way it actually took place. And centuries later, that is that that's a disconnect that we can still experience. Maybe you have known it before. Maybe particularly this Christmas season, this is what you're going through now. you know you know what Christmas is about, you know the themes, the music, the hope, the message, and yet it feels like your life is over here, and there is a disconnect between the two so so how do we deal with this? How do we address this to help us think through these questions? Um, we're going to look. At Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to look at what the author of Hebrews says, and we also want to pay attention to the experience of that early Christian community that was the recipient of this letter. Now, throughout the Christmas season, we've been in a series entitled God Reveals. Uh, We've looked at key moments in the Bible where God has revealed himself, his presence, his name, his character. And with that backdrop in mind, the the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that all of those moments of revelation in the past were actually building towards something. They were in anticipation of God's ultimate revelation, his revelation through his son, Jesus Christ. So notice how Hebrews 1 opens. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So here's here's an acknowledgement of the different ways God has revealed himself in the past. Through the prophets, through the writings that we now know as the Old Testament. God has always been pursuing his people. God has spoken. God has revealed himself. And we've looked at several key passages from the Old Testament where that happened. But now, (laughs) in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. It's an interesting phrase here, in these last days. And what the author is communicating is that something radical has changed. Yes, God has spoken in the past, but now he has spoken, he has communicated in an entirely new and different way. He has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, as you read these powerful words, and, and this, this paragraph in Hebrews 1 is the most powerful descriptions of the person and work of Jesus Christ in all of the New Testament. But as you as you read these words, notice the different imagery that is used in reference to Jesus. Uh, we see Jesus as divine, right? He is the exact representation of of God himself. We see Jesus as Savior, as the one who is providing purification from sin. But we also see Jesus as King. Notice he sits down, right? He sits down in the throne room at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this 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 isn't an image of someone sitting down to rest. It is an image of someone sitting down to rule. It's an imagery of of someone reigning. It is an imagery of kingship. And um, along those lines, um, it's interesting that in the opening part of this letter, the author also seems to have certain Old Testament passages in mind. For instance, he seems to be using certain Old Testament psalms that were linked with royalty. In the book of Psalms, there, there are certain psalms that are uh, very descriptive in describing God's coming king. They're royal psalms. And as the author is writing here about Jesus, he's, he's using that kind of imagery. For instance, in verse 2 here, he speaks of Jesus being the heir of all things. And, and that's an echo of a very powerful psalm, Psalm 2, which speaks of God's king inheriting the nations. Another psalm that is referenced in the opening part of Hebrews 1 is Psalm 110. Once again, another significant royal psalm. It's, it's actually quoted in verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Now, the author there is explicitly, explicitly quoting this royal psalm, Psalm 110. So, so in very strong imagery the author highlights the work and the rule of Jesus Christ. His kingship, right, his, his rule over all the earth. That, that's, that is emphatic in this opening part of Hebrews. But here's the disconnect. Here's where that Christmas disconnect kicks in here. This, this letter was written to a small group of Christians, quite possibly in Rome. And it is likely that They're now experiencing certain challenges, hardships, related to their commitment to Jesus Christ. Simply put, life has become complicated because they have become followers of Jesus. Life has become complicated because they've become Christians. So they're they're now feeling this disconnect. Disconnect. Right, They know the message of Jesus. They know the good news of Christ, that he's come, that he is fulfilling God's promises, that he is providing forgiveness from sin to those who trust in him. They know the gospel. Yet, right now, it really doesn't feel like Jesus is ruling. I think for some in this church, it's like they look out and say, okay, I know Jesus is king. But you know, right now, I look out and all I see is Caesar. And so, right now, it's as if I know the story of Jesus, I know the promises of Christmas, but my life is over here and my life experience is over here, and there's there's this disconnect. And I think that's exactly where many in this church were when this letter was written. And what the author of this book is aware of is this when we experience this disconnect, this disconnect between the promises and our real life experience, There is a danger that comes with that. And it's a danger that the author actually describes in chapter 2. It's it's the danger of drifting away. (laughs) Do you know know the experience of drifting? If you talk to my family, uh, my family would tell you that when we have gone to the beach for vacation, one of the things I love to do is just get into the ocean. And if it's possible, just to get out there and float. You know, when the waves are cooperative and it's not too bad, just to get out in the ocean and just float. I just just enjoy doing that. So that's kind of a joke in my family. He wants to get to the beach so he can get out into the ocean. But one of the things I've discovered in different locations when we've done that is this. In some places, I I discovered that with those waves (laughs) come a certain current. And if I'm not paying attention over time, as as I'm out there floating, I'm I'm moving along the shoreline. I'm drifting. Now, what did I have to do to drift? Well, really, absolutely nothing. All I had to do was just kind of go with the flow. All I had to do was to be controlled by my environment. And in a similar way, the the author of Hebrews is warning us, when we feel this disconnect, it's, it's, it's possible to drift. Just as you can drift physically, you can drift spiritually and emotionally. You can lose sight of the reality of who God is and what he's doing, and you just, you just drift away from the truth. You drift away from that relationship. You, you drift away from church community. And, and so the reality is when we experience this disconnect, and particularly at a time like Christmas, the disconnect between the promises of Christmas and our life experience, it's, it's just easy to drift. So in response to this danger, which the author is aware of, he spends a great deal of time really reminding them of of who Jesus is and what he's done. And in different ways, he says, don't drift. Don't go back to your old way of thinking. Don't go back to your old way of living. Don't go back to your old ways of engaging others. Because something better truly is now at work, and that is the work of the gospel. In fact, that's a repeated theme of this book. Something better is here. Something better is here. And I think as he responds to this situation, I think he's aware of this disconnect that we can experience. This disconnect between the promises of Christ, the promises of Christmas and real life experience. And in responding to this disconnect, part of what he's telling them, and and really part of what he's telling us is this. Look, I know this isn't how you expected these promises to unfold. This isn't exactly how you would expect a king to come and to reign. But there's a reason it happened this way. There's a reason Christmas happened this way. Why does the Christmas story happen this way? I think part of the answer of Scripture, and, and you see that in Hebrews, is, well, <laughs> when you look carefully at the Christmas story, you see that God's method reveals his mission. Yes, you're right. Jesus hasn't come as we might expect a king to come. And that creates this disconnect that we can experience. Yet, yet he truly is king. And one day when his plan is finished, all will experience his rule in a final way. Yet the truth is this. He hasn't simply come to rule. He's also come to heal. He has come to forgive. He has come to transform. He has come to save. He's come to fulfill his promises. And in order to do that, he had to come as a baby. He had to come and become one of us. He had to identify with us in all of our life experiences. Yes, Christmas doesn't happen the way we might expect. But God's method reveals his mission. And one of the ways the the author highlights this is by pointing out that Jesus isn't simply king Jesus is also our priest. In fact, in Hebrews, you will find a reference to kind of a very enigmatic character in the Old Testament. In Genesis 14, we read about this guy who's just mentioned briefly, whose name was Melchizedek, and he has an interaction with Abraham, and Melchizedek is described as both a king and a priest. Hebrews argues that that's true for Jesus as well. In fact, remember those royal psalms that I mentioned earlier? Once again, one of those is Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, we are told that God's coming king isn't simply a king. He is also a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Hebrews says that's exactly who Jesus is. He's not just a king. He's not just one who comes to rule. He is also a priest who comes to be with us, who comes to experience life with us, who comes to represent God to us. And us to God. That's Jesus. He is our King and He is our priest. And with that in mind, here's what the author says as the first section of this book builds to a climax. In chapter four, he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, right? We've got, we no, he's not just a king, he's a priest who's come to be with us to experience life with us and now to make it possible for us to experience forgiveness in new life. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Yes, the author says, I get the disconnect. This isn't how you expected these promises to be fulfilled. And particularly as you go through this Christmas season, there can be this disconnect between the themes of Christmas and your real-life experience. Yet understand, foundational to why God did it this way was the mission to be with us. He comes not simply as a king, but also as our priest. And with that in mind, the author gives us this invitation So here's the invitation. How do we deal with this disconnect? How do we avoid the danger of simply drifting away? Here's what the author says. He highlights two things. First, he says, hold fast. Once again in chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Once again, I think the author is saying, look, I know that what you experience is this disconnect at times, this disconnect between the promises of the gospel, the promises of Christmas, and your life experience. And when that happens, the danger is that you can drift away, but don't do that. Hold fast. And what he's talking about holding fast to is hold fast to your confession. That is, hold fast to your understanding of who God is and what he is doing through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Later in this book, in chapter 10, he will use the same language, talking about holding fast. And there he talks specifically about holding fast to the hope we have. In other words, he says, look, I know the disconnect, but in the midst of that, you need to hold fast to the truth. You need to remind yourself of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. You need to remind yourself that you do have a great high priest who is also king, who is for you, who has made it possible for you to experience new life, transformation, forgiveness, and he is with you now. And in holding fast to that truth, you need to remind yourself of the hope we have as followers of Christ, that our lives are part of a much bigger story, a story that will finally lead to the new heavens and the new earth. So is this a different Christmas? Yes. (laughs) Are there a lot of elements of disappointment that come with that in 2020? Yes. Are there things about Christmas that we are missing this year? Yes. Are we ready for 2020 to be over? Yes. But even in the midst of that, We are to hold fast to the truth that, yes, this is a hard season. It's a difficult season. Yet it is still a season where God is at work. And it is still a season that is part of a much bigger story. So the author says, hold fast. And then he says, draw near. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we hold fast to the truth, if we understand that Christ is both priest and king, we are to draw near to God with boldness. And notice, notice the reference to mercy and grace here. And I think what's implied is this. You will need mercy and grace in an ongoing way to follow Jesus. At times you're going to blow it, and you're going to need his mercy. Likewise, in all sorts of ways, you're going to need his grace, his presence, his empowerment. So draw close to him. And I think this is important to remember because I think sometimes when we, we feel this disconnect, particularly this disconnected Christmas that we've been talking about, it's, it's just easy to disengage. It's easy to drift. We can drift in ways where we're in essence saying, well, I'm not sure God cares so I've got to figure this out on my own. I'm not sure God can really forgive me from what I've done. I'm not sure I measure up anymore, so maybe I just have to go my own way. But the author says, don't don't do that. Don't drift. No, hold fast and draw near. Pursue him. Maybe even, you know, particularly during this season where we've had to deal with COVID and other other things, there, (laughs) there, there are times that We've gotten just frustrated with ourselves. I wish I were handling this better. I wish I were handling it differently. But even in the midst of that, draw near. Because you know what we need right now? We need his mercy. And we need his grace. Likewise, when you're frustrated with him, maybe you're frustrated with him right now, you need to draw near and be honest. In fact, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we have those conversations with God. What do those conversations look like as we wrap up a year that none of us expected? Draw near. At a practical level, let me just encourage you right now, even now, to to plan on really joining in with us as we go through the second part of the Old Testament, as we see part of this bigger story of which this present moment is a part. Each week, there are going to be three devotionals, and they're just going to invite you to read Scripture, to reflect and respond, and, and these are just great rhythms to build into your life. As we begin a new year where we are tired, maybe we have disconnected, we've started to drift, this is a great way to draw near to God in a tangible fashion. So, the reality is this, Christmas can involve a certain disconnect, You may be going through that right now, and if that's the case, can I just assure you, you are not alone. I think many of us have felt that in different ways over this season. This disconnect between the themes of Christmas and where we're at right now. But if that's that's where you're at, the author of Hebrews says this, look, don't drift. Don't disengage. Instead, hold fast and draw near. Let's pray together. Gracious God, um, I sometimes wonder exactly what this church in in Hebrews one was going through, but I can only imagine that in their own way they were experiencing certain things that caused them to disconnect, to experience this disconnect between the promises of the gospel, the promises of Christmas, and their own life experience. And Father, in the midst of that, it it was easy for them to drift, and that's kind of what this book is getting at. And frankly, we can experience that as well. Some of us perhaps would say that's been part of this year's experience. There's just been moments where it just feels like I'm just drifting away because of all that's going on. So in the middle of that, even perhaps as we're facing certain disappointment at the nature of this Christmas season, may we... Understand that instead of simply drifting, we need to hold fast and draw near. Because your desire for us at this moment is that we truly might experience your mercy and your grace. And with that in mind, we thank you for our great high priest who is with us in the midst of all this, whose birth we celebrate, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, now as we move towards Christmas, I hope in some form or fashion you're able to join us for our Christmas Eve services, either online or in person. And I too want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And in wishing you a Merry Christmas, I also just want to encourage you with these words from Hebrews 1. That as you go through this week, as you celebrate Christmas by yourself, as a couple, as a family, that you would be encouraged to hold fast and draw near. Amen.